It's always, it's always great. Anytime you can throw something, uh, some kind of meat on the grill. I mean, even a hot dog, it takes better coming off the grill, you know, it's just good. And uh, get that, especially if you wrap it in bacon, amen. <laughs> you get that, you get some good, good food there. And, and then watching some fireworks and these things, I'll tell you what, it's good. But you know, um, as they sang about it, you know, we get to watch these bombs bursting in the air and we watch it in celebration. But I want you to know that it wasn't fun and exciting for those who were sitting under those original bombs. It wasn't exciting for those who were literally, literally fighting for the freedoms that we have and that we enjoy and the freedom that we have to have a celebration and to uh, just walk freely and even to gather and to worship freely today. It cost somebody something. I want you to know that our nation was settled by people who came to these shores looking for religious freedom. I, I just want to encourage you, don't let the revisionists steal your history from you. America was founded on, on a Christian heritage. Were they all Christian? Were they all Baptist? No, but there was an understanding that there was a creator and man was subject to him. That was without question. You, you see those pilgrims that came to Plymouth Rock uh, as they landed, they joined together in what's called the Mayflower Compact. The, the Mayflower Compact reads like this. In the name of God, amen. Having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith, do solemnly and mutually in the presence of God covenant and combined ourselves together. The very first written document on what would be the shores of America is a group of people that acknowledged there was a God. And they acknowledged that he was in control. And they covenanted, covenanted together for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the glory of God, for Christian faith. Those settlers, just 23 years later in 1643, many of them formed together the New England Confederation. And the first written constitution that was used uh, states like this, whereas we all came into these parts with one and the same aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and in peace. Again, we understand this first written uh, constitution, first governing document that was exercised very right out of the bat, it acknowledges there's a God. Amen. There, there is a God, and we as a people are subject to those. those listen, these men weren't perfect. Uh, I, I, they, they weren't necessarily all Baptist. They might not have even called themselves Christian like we use the word Christian, but what we do know is that they knew there was a God, and they knew that we were subject to them, and that God ultimately rules and reigns in the affairs of men, and they chose as a people to put themselves under God and try and bring honor and glory to God instead of stand against God. That's what they did, the Declaration of Independence that was signed in 1776. We read, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed with their creator with certain inalienable rights and that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Again, right in this document, we have the acknowledgement there's a God. Don't let the revisionists steal your Christian heritage. They'll try and do that. They'll try and tell you that it's not so. But I want you to know it is. America was founded on Christian principles with the understanding that righteousness exalteth a nation. 
Would you turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 14, verse number 34, our text for today? And I don't, I'm, I'm hoping not to be long. We're going to let you out of here, but I want you to see this principle. Righteousness, Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Would you read it aloud with me together? Lift your voices up. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Pray with me, Lord, we come to you right now, and I submit myself to you, a humble and unworthy servant, to preach your word. I pray you, God, this morning that you would take the thought from the scripture, this acknowledgement, this recognition and contrast given to us between the righteousness of a nation and the sin of a nation and the result that comes. And I pray, God, we would be blessed and challenged by your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to see this morning this, this great contrast that's presented to us here There's a contrast, a transition between that righteousness that can exalt a nation and the sin that is a reproach to a nation. That's the facts. There's no way around that. We know that the Bible says, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You can look down through the pages of time, and if you are any type of a reader at all, if you spend a little bit of time or or invest a little bit of effort in reading some of the history, can I ask you, what happened to the empires of bygone days? You look at the Persian Empire and look not, not biblically, obviously the Persian Empire is in the Word of God, but just in history. Just take some history of civ courses and see the progression of sin that ultimately toppled and turned over that great empire. The Roman Empire, uh, 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 they, they all roads lead to Rome. They, they conquered the known world at that time. But you'll see that they were a people given to pleasure instead of principle. They lived their lives by uh, the, the number of holidays that they had. They said there's almost a holiday for every day of the year. And they had events one after the other. They were a people given to pleasure and they forgot about biblical principle and it destroyed them. They ultimately, for however strong and great they were, ultimately sin brought them down. Sin, when it is finished, beloved, bringeth forth death. We want to ask you this morning, what happened to the nation of Israel? What is it that caused this mighty group of people, God's very own people, what is it that caused God to send famine and pestilence and captivities and ultimately destruction, even on his own people? It was sin. The unrefrained, unfettered exercise of sin and no acknowledgement of who God wants. Listen, it is the nature of sin to sink a man. It is the nature of sin to bring a man down to his lowest degree. People conformed and committed to a habit of vice have no desire to labor. They have no effort given to thought. Where vice reigns, iniquity abounds. And immorality prevails. Is that not what we see in our country today? Is that not where we are as a nation today? A people given to vice? Beloved Americans just don't endure sin. We encourage it. It is not that we're just not righteous. The fact of the matter is we're rebellious against anything that is righteous. We we, we flaunt our sin. We, we, We are proud of our sin. We parade our sin as a nation. And beloved, as somebody that knows and fears God, I fear the end result for our nation. I fear the end result of the direction that we're headed. 
in the Middle Ages, there was a, the farmers of Scotland. They were very superstitious. They would leave one corner of their field uncultivated to pacify the evil spirits. They believed in their minds that if they left that corner of the field uncultivated, if they just left that alone, that that would appease the spirits and their crops would be left alone. But what would happen is that corner of the field that was churned up and left un, un, unseeded and unplanted, uh, weeds would grow. And when the wind would blow, those weeds would, uh, seeds would blow across the field and all of the field would become infected with weeds. The entire crop was damaged because they left something unattended. Can I tell you this morning that for many, many years, there's been a corner of the field of America that's been unattended. We've allowed the sin to exist there over in the sidelight and maybe in the shadows and maybe uh, uh, kind of off the beaten path and maybe it was a district part of town that, that people just didn't go if they wanted to be spiritual. But by the most part, we're a Christian nation. For the most part, we claimed God, but we're going to leave that alone. But I want you to know the, the winds have blown and sin has planted its seeds in every corner and every part of our nation and the entire nation's infected with it. That's why in 2020, there were over 2,500 abortions every day in America. Over 2,500 every single day. It's a lot of innocent blood. Beloved, God is not going to just turn the other way. We look at our nation, and beloved, I don't want a nation that is a reproach. A reproach means to be disgraced, to be dishonored, to be defeated. I don't want a nation that's that way. And so although we look at the nation as a whole today, and it seems overwhelming, I want to encourage you today that there is something that you can do about it. Because in this verse we have a contrast. Sin is a reproach, but righteousness exalteth the nation. You might not be able to do anything about Washington, D.C., and you might not be able to do anything about Baltimore as a whole, but you can do something about your life. You can do something about your home. You can do something about your family. You can do something about the people that you have an area of influence over and remember and exercise the principle that righteousness exalteth the nation. You can choose this morning to live a righteous life. Boy, you look at the city of Baltimore and you feel like there's no hope. Just last night, 28 people were injured and sent to the hospital and two people were killed in a mass shooting. Just down, they were having a block party, 4th of July weekend. And, you know, they say nothing good happens after midnight. It was about 12.10 and somebody came through just randomly for no reason, started shooting up the crowd. 28 people in the hospital and two people dead. You look at the, the sin that's out there and you say, oh, there's no hope. But there is hope because we serve an almighty God and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if God's people, listen, America's not a mess because there's been people sinning. The people have always been sinning. America's a mess is because God's people have stopped living righteous lives. God's people gave up. God's people stopped being holy. That's where the reproach comes. I want you to see several things this morning. First of all, if we're going to do something about the situation, if we're going to uh, have hope in God, we need to know where righteousness comes from. 
Romans 3 tells us where it comes from. Romans 3, verses 25 and 26, he says, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sin that are passed through the forbearance of God. Verse number 26, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, which he might be justified and the justifier of them which believe in Jesus. And I tell you, if you're looking for righteousness, you can stop today. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Jesus is the source of true righteousness. The Bible is very clear that righteousness comes from God. Romans 10 verse number 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Christ is the end of the law, but righteousness is given to everyone that believeth. It's a righteousness that we get from Jesus Christ. It's not a righteousness that we can achieve or attain on our own, but a a true righteousness that comes from him. Romans 3.22 says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. How do you get the righteousness of God? By faith in Jesus Christ. You don't get it by going to church. You don't get it by carrying a Bible around and looking holy. You don't get it by strapping your halo on in the morning and walking around with a better than thou attitude and, and, and acting, acting spiritual all day. You get it. The righteousness of God comes by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And him alone. That he's the source of righteousness. Beloved, if righteousness exalts a nation, and we know it does. And if Jesus is the source of righteousness, then what America needs is Jesus. The Apostle Paul understood that his self-righteousness was of no value. He was, a, he was a pretty good guy. He had a lot going for him. I mean, he knew the book. He was, he was trained. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He had the best of the best education. He, he, he kept the law. He said, I keep the law. He said, I fast. He fasted every week. He was, followed the law, was circumcised on the eighth day. But beloved, when he found Jesus, he said, all of that is nothing. I have Jesus. Philippians 3 and verse number 9, he says, and being found in him, not having mine own righteousness. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Righteousness, which is of God by faith. He is the source of righteousness. Jesus Christ is the source of righteousness. It doesn't come anywhere else. Somebody's phone's going off. It's, all right. So he, it comes from God. It's not from anybody else. Paul understood that in Galatians 2.21. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness cometh by the law, then Christ died in vain. He says, I don't, I'm not going to frustrate the grace of God. I understand that that grace of God, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He said, listen, if you could be righteous all on your own, if you could get the righteousness of God by observing some laws or following some plan or, or doing something, then what in the world did Jesus die for? Jesus died in vain if that was possible, but it's not possible. I want you to understand, beloved, this morning that righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, don't leave today without getting that settled. Amen? Amen. So we see here, first of all, that that righteousness 
It's from, from a person, Jesus Christ. Not only is righteousness from a person, but righteousness forms a position for us. It forms a position for us. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, for he, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, beloved, we are given a position upon our salvation. It is a position of righteousness. It's not anything that we do. It's not anything that we can earn. It's not anything that we accomplish. I can never be good enough to have the righteousness of God. But upon accepting Jesus Christ and his son, I am given the righteousness of God. I am given a position. When God looks down from heaven, he doesn't see the sin of Caleb Bottrell. There's plenty. What he sees is his son. The righteousness of his son. I know there's, like Paul, there's no good thing in me. In Romans 3, 10 and through 12, he says, as is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all going out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. You know, you can keep trying to get righteous on your own, but could I encourage you today? You don't have to. God has done it for you. You've given a position of righteousness in Jesus Christ. I love using the example of how we're clothed in righteousness because it's so easy to see. Josh, come up here. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul shall be joyful. Come all the way up on the platform. Okay, here's my notes. I want you to take over. All right. See you later. No, no. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. So he said, Isaiah 61.10. Just stay right here. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. You see what God does? In myself, I'm nothing. But God says, hey, I'll take care of that. And he covers you. He clothes you in the righteousness of God. When the father looks down, he doesn't see this old dirty, rotten sinner. He sees the righteousness of God's son, Jesus Christ, that I've been clothed in because of his mercy and his grace. Being given a position. Thank you, Josh. That wasn't too hard, was it? (laughs) Listen. We're made righteous through Jesus Christ. You can never get righteousness by walking some tightrope of religion. Trying to balance or be some something. It's a position we get from Christ. You believe that he died, was buried, and he rose again for you. What a privilege to know that I've been given that position. Lastly, this morning, I want you to see that righteousness is fulfilled in practice. So, positionally, I've been made righteous by God. I had no part in that. That was all God. I had nothing to do with it. Positionally, I've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But now I have a responsibility. And really... When Jesus Christ comes and dwells in you, you don't have just have responsibility. There will be a desire 
innate inside your heart to ultimately want to please and honor God. How many of you know it's possible for me to be positionally righteous but practically wicked? It's possible. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And beloved, this is where Christians are messing up today. We've been made positionally righteous in Jesus Christ, and we praise God for that. But practically, we're not following through. Practically, we're not being righteous. 1 Peter 1, verses 14 through 16 says, As obedient children... Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. He's saying there was a time when you didn't know. You followed the lusts, the desires, the passions of your heart. You, you, you were ignorant of that. You just did those things. But now you're starting to learn. You're starting to know you don't want to continue down that road. He said that's not what you should not fashion yourselves according to those former lusts. He says in verse 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. It is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Positionally, I'm made righteous through Jesus Christ, but practically I must live a righteous life to bring honor and glory to God. You know, if I was to adopt somebody into our family, bring a child in, we, we do halfway adopt a lot of people. There's <laughs> a lot of people that come and end up as part of the family. But I'm saying officially, legally recognized, brought somebody in. They've been adopted into the family. Uh, you know, they've been positionally, they've been made part of the family. Positionally, they've got a bed in the house and, and maybe a room and they've got a closet. This is your closet. This is where you're going to hang up your stuff. This is your part of the family. You've got a toy box here. This is where you get to put your toys and these toys in here are yours. Positionally, you've got that at the dining room table. We've got a spot for you. This is your spot. You're part of the family now. Positionally, you're part of the family. And, 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 and when we meet for devotions in the living room, this is your seat. You can sit right here. Uh, this is where you're going to be as part of the family. You've got a position in the family. But how many of you know that so even though positionally they've been made part of the family, that practically they, they might have to start to learn some things about what it means to be a Bottrell. Yeah, Zach, our, our adopted intern for the summer. Where's he downstairs at Junior Church? Where's he at? There, Zach. Hey, Zach. Uh, he said after a few weeks here, he says, so I've learned that uh, Bottrells don't have days off. <laughs> I thought Monday was supposed to be a day off. And they're like, well, no, that's the day we do the work that we're supposed to do. Uh, He said several things like that about, I've learned that if I'm going to be around the Bottrells, this is what we've got to do. Or this is what we see positionally, practically, he's learning what it means to be at our house 24-7. Pretty much he's deciding he don't care for it. That, that Beloved, positionally, we've been brought into the family of God, but practically, we've got to learn what it means to bring honor and glory to him. We've got to learn what it means to be part of the family of God. We don't just continue down what we were. Don't keep doing the things we are. Oh, yeah, now I'm a child of God. I mean, I can just do whatever I want to do. No, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid we would do that. No, why? Because I'm a child of the king. So I ought to act like a child of the king. I ought to bring honor and glory to God because righteousness exalteth the nation. 
First Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse number 11, he says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness. Follow after righteousness. Paul was telling his son in the faith, Timothy, listen, flee those things, those worldly lusts, those desires, those passions, those things that pull on your old flesh and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Beloved, I know we look at society and say, man, things are bad. But you know, if you want to be patriotic, the most patriotic thing you can do for our country is live a righteous life. Live a righteous life. Yes, our nation's a mess. What you can do is stop playing church and start being a Christian. A few minutes ago, I mentioned the fact that in the year 2000, there's over 2,500 abortions a day. That is really sad, but you know it's even more heart-wrenching. According to the Gutmatcher Institute, 62% of those people that committed those abortions say they have a religious affiliation. 62% of them, and I know that includes everybody and their brother, but what I'm saying is 62% of them said, I know there's a God. I know there's somebody that we answer to. I know there's somebody in control. There's somebody that we should be subject to, and yet they still went and committed murder. That felt pretty flat. What I'm saying is, is if we're going to help this nation, we got to stop playing church and start being Christians. we got to stop just acting like we know God and start living like he's our father. Make him the Lord of our lives. Live righteous lives because it's righteousness that exalteth the nation and sin is a reproach to any people. Charles Spurgeon said, It will be a sad day for the church and for the world when there is no distinction between the child of God and the men of the world. I think Spurgeon would say we're there. There's very little distinction between the child of God and the men of the world. Hardly look different anymore. Hardly act different. Hardly talk different. But once in a while we go to church and we claim the name of Christ. But are you living righteous lives? Now, I was not planning for this to be so hard. I'm I'm sorry. I was not planning to be so, this is, a, this is a fun weekend. We're supposed to be having a good time. But listen, if your head hasn't been in the sand, I think you've got you to gotta agree that this nation's a mess. And by and large, we've got Christians that just aren't living up to the name. And if we want to do something about it, we gotta, we, it starts with us. We can, we, can, we can point out there all we want and say, man, look at this wicked world. We can't believe how bad it is. Unbelievable. Meanwhile, what are you doing? You know, it's righteousness that exalteth the nation. Not only that, it's righteousness that exalteth the church. Righteousness that exalted the family. I encourage you. I mean, you could, you could bring such a great blessing upon your family. 
as God looks down and looks into your home, Satan may be wanting to come and tempt and try you. Satan may say, look, I've won victory over the whole, the whole earth. And, and I wonder if God would look down and say, hey, have you considered my servant? And put your name there. Here's, here's a righteous man. Here's a righteous lady. Here's a lady that has not turned to the way of the world. This will bring the blessings of God on our nation and on your home and on your church. Beloved, if we as a community just practice true righteousness, this country would prosper. Just from a practical sense. I mean, think about it. No one would lie, cheat, or steal. No one would go randomly for no reason at all and just shooting up a crowd of people. You know, if we just live righteous life, every worker would give an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. Every employer would give an honest day's pay. And every worker would give an honest day's work. Because we're living righteous lives. People would be respectful of each other and of each other's property. Kids would love and be obedient to their parents. Moms would love their kids and follow their husbands. Husbands would be worth following, amen? Amen. As a husband, he would love and care and lead his family as he should. Lawyers would have to find a new occupation. (laughs) Don't don't have any lawyers in here, do we? (laughs) They would have to, because there would be nobody suing each other. People would be respectful of one another. People would be uh, responding justly to one another. Men would not be seeking gain where it was not theirs to get. Companies would put fair and equitable prices on their products. People would want to pay for what they receive instead of wanting to get it all for free. The police department would turn into Mayberry FD. I mean, they would be sitting around with nothing to do. Everybody would be loving and respecting each other. They would be walking around and just saying hi to grandma. Taxes would fall because there would be no need for jail systems. There would be no, no need for such a large police force. There would be uh, no need for much, if not all, of the welfare programs that we have. People would love and honor and respect and care for one another. If we were living righteous lives, our court system would be non-existent. One could go on and on and talk about the end result and the impact of righteousness on a nation But it starts with you and I. We look at that and say, well, that'll never happen. But you can be righteous. You can be a blessing to your family and to your church and to your community. You know what? God said he wouldn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. If you found 10 righteous people there. I wonder if God could find 10 righteous people in Baltimore. I wonder if he could find 10 righteous people in Cockeysville. Hunt Valley. 10 righteous. Would you be among the 10? 
what I'm saying this morning, Christian, is we can't disconnect ourselves from the turmoil and the tragedy that is our society and pretend we're over here and, and we don't have anything to do with that. Because righteousness exalteth the nation, and if we are living righteous lives, we will be impacting our society. It starts with us. Righteousness is from a person. It comes from Jesus Christ, and positionally it's given to us, and we don't have to do anything for it. Positionally, we're given righteousness. But practically, we need to live righteous lives. He said, be ye holy, for I am holy.